It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. We are looking at 1983, part two, Charlie. Yes, part deux. The very last season we'll be focusing on in the year 2022. Unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? We've gone, we've gone through. We've started gone through the, so much. We started the 1970 in our 100th episode, the start of this year. Now here we are, 1983. 13, 13 years. 14 seasons. 14 seasons, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, now, one thing we forgot to mention last week, which we probably should have mentioned, but we can mention now, is yes. there was a charity game. At the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, so you mentioned the, uh, the, the Ash, where, Ash, Fire? Ash Wednesday Ash Wednesday fires. fires so there yeah. was a bushfire charity match to raise funds for that, much like there was for the bushfires a few years ago, 20, 2020. 20. So in the wake of the devastating bushfires, the Victorian government gave the go-ahead for a charity match between the 82 Premier's Carlton and the newspaper The Sun's all-star VFL side, raising funds for victims of the fire. Now, usually the Victorian government, headed by Premier Kane, would not allow Sunday football but they made an exception for this. Um, so we have Carlton, obviously the reigning premiers, and we have the All-Stars wearing this lovely yellow top with a rooster on it. As you do. The Sun All-Stars. Yeah. Okay. Captained by Robbie Flower. Um, and these are the players that the All-Stars have. Like Robbie Flower, Jeff Cunningham, Trevor Barker, Greg Smith, David Ackerley, Robert Wiley, Graham Landy, Jared Healy, Peter Russo, Michael Tuck, Ricky Barham, Timmy Watson, Terry Danaher... Michael Conlon, Bernie Quinlan, Jim Edmund, Terry Wallace, David, uh, Stephen Ick, David Dench, Barry Rowlings, Michael Roach, John Mossop, Matt Rendell, Russ Glendening and Gary Dempsey. A pretty strong looking side. Very strong. So it's no surprise then, Charlie, that the All-Stars won by 69 points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Carlton 13-10-88, the All-Stars 21-31-157. So 52 scoring shots to 23. In a, um, what I'm guessing is bruise free football. I mean, when we went and saw Victoria versus the All Stars, that was also very yeah. high scoring. Yeah. Yeah. No one wanted to go too hard, nah. but it was a, a good show of skill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all in the spirit of raising funds, which they did. And yeah, I don't mind every now and then seeing those All Star teams. No, it's, all, it's, it's always interesting. I mean, it's never, it's never the same, but it's like imagine. You think about it, like imagine, you know, someone delivering to a forward line with this guy, this guy, this yeah. guy, you know, it's always good to actually see that happen. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that'd be incredible. That's the best thing about State of Origin as well. Yeah. When it, when it meant something. Yeah, because it was actual proper footy as well. Like it was hard footy. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, nice. All right, let's work our way up the ladder. Do you want to, want to remind do us it. who we've already discussed? I would love to. So the Wooden Spooners this year were St Kilda. Moving up from there, we had Sydney in 11th spot. Richmond 10th, Geelong 9th, Melbourne 8th, Footscray 7th, and Collingwood 6th, just missing out. Which takes us to our first finalist being Carlton, with 13 wins and 9 losses, a percentage of 105.2, coached by David Parkin and captained by Fitzpatrick again. The reigning premiers. Yes. Uh, Debutants include Daryl Gilmore, Rowan Brown, Mark Williams, Shane Robertson, player, agent, and controversial figure Ricky Nixon. Um, during the eighty-three, during the year of nineteen eighty-three, President Ian Rice resigned after serving four years to be replaced by John Elliott. Ah, we spoke about John Elliott last year, didn't we? Yes, and we will yep. come to speak of him in a few more times. Oh, I think. we certainly yeah. will. Uh, round one was a grand final rematch with the Tigers, um, and the Blues absolutely slaughtered the Tigers. Ken Hunter took Mark of the Year. Peter McConville was a star around the ground. Um, unfortunately, Ross Ditchburn injured his shoulder in the third quarter. He was replaced by a young Mark Buckley at full forward. He went on to kick five goals in the term. Carlton's uh, Alex Marcou was in brilliant touch and picked up 26 kicks in a very spirited display. But then they suffered a shock loss to the Doggies. Round three, in a clash at VFL Park, Carlton and Collingwood turned on a wonderful spectacle for the 70,000 fans. Uh, Bazasta was brilliant again, kicking six for the Blues, who won by 10 points in Ken Sheldon's 100th game. In round four, they triumphed over the D's by nine points, but the other story of the day was Daryl Gilmore, who played his one and only game for Carlton. He got three kicks. Uh, no, sorry, he, he got one... 
He kicked three goals um, before going off sore and would never be seen again. That would be his only game. Really? One game for three goals? One game for three goals. Uh, they then lost to the Lions and the Cats before they travelled to Sydney in round seven to take on the Swans. Justin Madden made his debut for Carlton in this match after receiving a clearance from Essendon after they held off for a long time. Um, he scored five goals, so a handy pick-up. The Blues amassed 22 goals against the Swans, including a massive 13-goal second quarter to take the points. Round eight, they took on St Kilda at Moorabbin. Spiro Kukumalis, I hope I said that right, has relished his opportunities with Carlton and put in another big game on Saturday. The Golden Greek had a great duel with the centerman Greg Burns and pumped the Blues forward time and again, picking up the three votes in the Blues' 56-point win. Round nine in front of 30,000 at Princess Park in a clash against the Hawks. The Hawks jumped Carlton with 6-2 to 1-5 in the first quarter, but then Carlton slammed on nine goals in the big second quarter and went on to win by eight points. Madden with another four, continuing to prove his handiness around the ground. Oh, yeah. Round 10 can best be forgotten as they suffered a big loss at Arden Street and then they had losses and they lost to Essendon as well. Round 13, they pummeled the Dogs by 89 points at home. Back from injury, uh, Jimmy Buckley epitomised the determination of the Blues and was a shining light in Carlton's big win. He kicked five. Round 15, many Carlton supporters who went to Princess Park on this day thought they were going to see Bruce Dool's 300th game, but they were misled. This was actually his 297th game. Um, the issue being that the VFL changed how the records were kept and uh, state okay. games used to count. And now they don't anymore. Now they don't anymore, yeah. So that was changed and he had yeah didn't play. This was actually a loss uh, to Melbourne as well. So retrospectively, does that mean people who hit 300 go back below 300 or do they keep it There's in retrospect? Few, That's guess, really interesting. Yeah, it is. Like Sam Newman who finished on exactly 300 games. Yeah. Did, he, did it count? Yeah, I don't know. Good question. In round 16, they took on the ladder-leading Lions at Waverley, and the Blues came from as much as five goals down to defeat them. It looked like another loss up until halfway through the second quarter when suddenly the old swagger started to return. They took over completely in the third quarter and won by 35 points. Round 17, Val Perovic turned in a sterling performance in shutting the Geelong forwards down with his strong play. The dominator, was, his good form continued with three goals, uh, contributing from the midfield in a 35-point win. Round 18, they took on the Swans at Princess Park. The Blues slammed on eight majors in the third term to break the Swans' hearts and run out 44-point winners. Hunter and Buckley with four each there. Round 19 was Bruce Dool's 300th game. Uh, he made it. He made it. He, so he missed round 18, but round 19, he was playing 300. Um, the Saints were hammered by the Blues for the third time in eight years. Um, it was a trademark third-quarter blitz of nine goals. It snuffed out the Saints' hope. The final margin was now 107 points. Ooh. Round 20, the Blues beat the Hawks at Princess Park. The Dominator picked up 12 kicks in the third quarter and was the driving force behind the Blues getting into the match. He was here, there and everywhere in an effort to lift his side in a 17-point win. Round 21 was a terrific victory over another ladder leader, this time North Melbourne. Sparked once again by Ken Hunter. Um, he was originally named halfback flank, but he was sent forward by coach David Parkin to form a two-pronged spear head for the team alongside regular full forward Ross Ditchburn. The pair produced 10 goals. Seven coming from the boot of Hunter in a 33-point win. Uh, and round 22 was a loss to Essendon. So, I mean, pretty good season, right? Well, scraping into finals. They won two, they've won the last two flags. So. Yeah, but they also won against the teams that they'd be coming up against in finals, right? They sort of, for Essendon. But yeah, yeah, seemed to have lost to a few others. Yeah, yeah they've beaten Hawthorne twice, you're right. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, and had some very big wins. But yeah, also a few yeah. big losses, which we'll talk about yes. later. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so the lead goal kicker in Car at Carlton this year was Ken Hunter with 43, and the John Nichols medal in 83 went to Wayne Johnston. Um, so that takes us up to fourth spot on the ladder, where we have the team you just mentioned, Essendon. Yes. Uh, with 15 wins and seven losses, 120.3%. So these top four really did some good, had some great wins. Mm. Uh, coached by Kevin Sheedy and captained by Terry Danaher. From Neil. Yes. And Ronnie Andrews, who was captain in the previous season. Yeah. Debutants include Wayne Bettison, Paul Weston, Peter Bradbury, Alan Ezard, who was actually training with Melbourne, but was cleared by them. They didn't want him. Oh. Uh, they gained Cameron Clayton from Melbourne and Brian Wood from Richmond while they traded out Max Crow and eventually released Justin Madden to Carlton. But two big debutants I want to mention are Paul Salmon and Mark Thompson. Yeah, I mean, what needs to be said? But let's say it anyway. Yes, let's say it. Uh, so, let's start with Paul Salmon. 
There have been taller players than the 205-centimetre Ruckman slash Ford, but arguably none who have managed to use extreme height to such potent effect, whether pursuing the ball around the field in the traditional role of a knock or tap Ruckman or providing teammates upfield with an imposing marking target in the goal square. He was recruited from North Ringwood and a highly accomplished junior player. He was a key member of Victoria's 1981 Teal Cup winning side, claiming the Lark medal for best and fairest in the comp. Uh, so, yeah, a huge yeah. get. Yep. And then Bomber Thompson. He's a highly defendable uh, performer for Essendon. He was recruited from Airport West to Windy Hill as a 17-year-old and played most of his football as an attacking halfback flanker who provided plenty of rebound without neglecting his defensive duties. Yep. Jeez, don't you love someone like that? Absolutely. Round one was an upset loss to the Swans at the SCG. Danaher brothers Terry and Anthony going head-to-head. Round two, the Bombers hit back after a disappointing opening round to rout the Saints by 61 points at West Windy Hill. Glenn Hawker kicked five and Wayne Otway was great. But then there was a loss to the Lions in round three and the Bombers, were, you know, they're in a bit of a slump. Questions were being asked. Where's the form from last year? Yeah. Where's the streak? Um, the committee said, you know, we support Sheeds and we expect him to turn this around. Mm-hmm. And he did. Round four was an easy win over the Pies. The Dons looked like the team they had been the previous season. Uh, their slick ball movement and quick running overwhelmed the Pies by 24 points. We're back, baby. We're back. Round six, Essendon defeated the Bulldogs by 132 points. The third time in a row, Charlie, they defeated the Dogs by over 100 points. The first time this has ever happened. Yeah, wow. One club defeating another by three time, by 100 points three times in a row. Three times in a row. It's happened one time since. That was Geelong in the uh, 90s against Brisbane Bears. Oh, okay. Yes. In this game, Copping kicked seven. And That's but, actually... I would have thought it would have happened again with like Gold Coast or someone like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I looked into it and there was some close ones, but not above 100. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, in this game, Copping kicked seven and Bahaja was on fire. The Dons then flexed their muscles in round seven against the Tigers, uh, earning a 25-point win. They stunned the Tigers with ferocious tackling in the opening quarter. Glenn Hawker was excellent with 25 kicks and nine handballs. Round eight was a loss to the Hawks in a game that included a wild melee. Paul Salmon did kick six in his fifth game, which was pretty good. Is this the original line in the sand game, do no, you think? No. no, we're still with a bit argy body going back a few years. Um, as a result of this loss, acting captain Ron Andrews, well, previous year's acting captain Ron Andrews was axed for his poor attitude. Mm. Round nine, Stephen Copping was the hero to beat the D's in round ten. He kicked five of his six goals in the second quarter to pave the way for a 38-point win. Round ten, the Dons came from 22 points down against the Cats in the third quarter at Windy Hill, running out two goal winners. Round 11, taking on the Blues. The Bombers hit the turf with a full head of steam, hell-bent on victory at almost any price. The game was fiery from early on when Alex Marcou was floored with Roger Merritt and Merv Neagle in the umpire's books. Ex-Bomber Justin Madden was reported for striking Ronnie Andrews as the Blues went ahead early. But the Dons hit back and levelled the scores by half-time. They were then able to overrun the Blues in the closing stages of the game, adding three goals in the last nine minutes to run out 25-point winners, their seventh straight win against the Blues. Uh, Madden and Merritt received two weeks each suspension. Also following the game, Sheedy said the umpires must have Merv Merv Neagle on the blacklist because of all the frees they paid against him, so he was fined $1,500 by the league for these comments. Fair enough. Round 12, nine goals in the second quarter and... 10 in the third by the Bombers were too much for the struggling Swans in a one-sided affair at Windy Hill. The Swans actually led by 26 at quarter time, but from then on it was all red and black. They got it back on them. Yes, absolutely. Bettison and TD with five goals each. Um, They had little trouble in beating the Saints in round 13. Then they suffered three straight losses. Round 17 was their first win for a month, defeating their recent whipping boy, the Bulldogs, by just three goals this time, though. Disappointing. (laughs) Um, the win came at a cost, however, with Paul Vanderhaar breaking his wrist early in the second quarter. Oh, it's a big loss. Around this time, the media started laying into some of the Bombers' rough tactics as well. They were a tough, tough, hard team to beat. Roger Merritt being the specific player who copped a lot of the criticism as being a hitman, a thug. Okay. Yeah. Um, also around this time, we picked up um, Pies' tough man, Renee Kink, who was dumped by the Pies. It's another hard man there. Um, the Bombers then lost in round 18 to Richmond and all players were ordered to train on Sunday as punishment. But did the trick. As the next week, the Bombers took on the ladder-leading Hawks and kicked 10 goals four in the opening quarter at Windy Hill. They gave themselves a great buffer and eventually beat the Hawks by 46 points. Um, Danaher was seven and Renee Kink with six. So oh, nice. Handy pickup. 
Round 20 was a regulation 17-point win over the Ds. Yeah. Round 21, we kept our finals hopes alive because, you know, those three losses in a row, we kind of... Yeah, it hurts. Finals is iffy. Yeah, it's very close um, at the top, as we, had we mentioned. We had a big 82-point win over the Cats at Cardinia Park. The Cats had no counter for Tim Watson and Glenn Hawker, who had a feast of kicks in the first half. Danaher finished with six goals, and the Bombers scored their highest score against the Cats at that point in time, 26 goals, 9, 165. And in the final game of the round, home and away season, they earned a hard... Bought 51 point win over the Blues at Waverley. It was a tremendous win and continued the jinx the Bombers seemed to have over the Blues. Hawker and Neagle shared 64 possessions. TD kicked four. Uh, and the win bode well, bodes well for the Bombers, who then take on the Blues in the first week of the final. So nice. two weeks in a row. Yeah. But with that monkey on their back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Five straight elimination final losses. Yeah. Not what you want. No. We've got to end sometime. Yeah. Well, it does. It has to, right? Yeah. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Essendon this year was Terry Danaher with 64. And the Crichton medal in 1983 went to Simon Madden for the third time. His first for a while? First for a, cu- a few years. He, he had one in 79 uh, and one in 77. Yeah. So it was coming around to, a, to the uh, Kevin Sheedy way of thinking yes. after that little spat earlier last yeah, season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so taking us up to third place, we have Fitzroy. The Royce. The Royce. Love it. With 15 wins, 7 losses, 126.7%. Uh, coached by Robert Walls and captain by Gary Wilson. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about their kicking strategy, which was revolutionary. Oh, okay. Um, they started the... Called the split, the spread method. So, where you make a, so the kicking happens, you make a huddle in the middle, and then spread from it, and then you spread from that. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Walls came up with this tactic, and he started to employ it. And I guess '83 was the season that really kicked in. Yep. I might be wrong. If you want to correct me. Um, and yeah, they would spread, and Jeez. they'd have a designated person to kick it to, or they the fullback would pick someone out, and nine times out of ten, the Lions would get the ball and, and go forward from that. And no one. It took years for a team to get a counter to it. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of people started taking that tactic too. And a yeah. lot of people started trying to use it. Yeah. That was quite common, the spread. Well, when, yeah, when I played football it was. In the, yeah, in the 90s as yeah. well. Yeah. So there you go. All right, so back to the Lions season, which is one of the most memorable in recent times for the Lions. Um, and also, spoiler, you know how we talked about Gary Carter's top 100 Wins by the Lions. Yeah, he's, yeah number one in this number year. Number one, Peter Carter. Yep, his number one game is this year. Nice. Yeah, so get ready. Um, round one was a loss to the Hawks. Wasn't the best way to start the season, but the Lions made up for it by going on the best winning streak they'd had in a long time. Kicked off in round two, which was a quick and welcome return against North Melbourne. Played on the Monday at VFL Park. Rendell dominated the ruck. Wilson started on the ball, and Bernie Quinlan kicked seven, including five in the second half in what was a good, strong 45-point win. Round three was an important victory against the Bombers, a highly rated opponent. It was close for three quarters, and then Gary Sidebottom single-handedly destroyed the Dons in the last quarter. His fifth goal was a delightful left-foot snap under pressure, Lions by 41 points. Round four was an easy-at-home victory over the Swans. Gary Pert dominating in defence, with 22 possessions and five marks. Um, Neil Roberts in the paper... Um, quipped that young Gary Pert is going to be a star. He's not yet 18 and shows great form from his boot. Conlon kicked five, McMahon four. He's with Melbourne now, isn't he, Gary Pert? Yeah. The CEO, I think. Is he, is he now or was he? No, Round five in the lead up to the game, journalist Mike Sheehan boldly predicted a Fitzroy victory against the Blues, although Fitzroy had not won at Princess Park for years. Um, he emphasised that Fitzroy was a fine team on whose progress had vindicated the judgment of those of us who had the Lions near the top in pre-season prognostications. Um, after an even first half, the Lions destroyed the reigning premiers and jumped to the top of the ladder. Rendell was brilliant in the ruck and Grant Laurie dominated defence. Um, one of the highlights was a beautiful goal by Lee Carlson on the run and an amazing goal by Mick Conlon, who ran about 20 metres, took one bounce and ran another 30 metres and booted it through. So, so much for the 15-metre rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lions won that game by 10 goals. Round six, Superboot. Bernie Quinlan produced one of the greatest individual performances against bottom side. St Kilda at Moorabbin with 17 disposals, eight marks and 10 goals too in a 41-point romp. Oof. Round seven, they took on the Cats in match of the day at the Junction Oval. Lions only just prevailed. Um, Trevor Grant, who was a columnist, specifically praised 18-year-old 
Richard Osborne, who was only playing his fourth game, saying that he showed remarkable flair and courage in dealing with some very tight situations. Round eight was a comfortable 39-point victory over the Demons. Uh, Quinlan, again, excellent, kicked eight goals, including five in the last quarter. Uh, and this was their seventh win in a row. Yeah. They're on track. They They're looking on good. Track. Uh, and then a loss to the Dogs. No. Round eight. Uh, sorry, their first loss in eight weeks. That, so that was round nine. Round 10 was a good victory over eighth place Collingwood at Victoria Park. Former North Melbourne forward Michael Reeves iced the game with three goals in the final quarter. Tall defender Glenn Coleman, who replaced the injured Matt Rendell in the ruck, was best of field. Uh, coach Robert Walls described it as a really gutsy win. Round 11 was another solid victory against last year's runner-up Richmond. Gary Wilson had been forced to adapt to a role of getting... Gary Wilson has been forced to adapt to the role of goal-getting forward rather than the roaming rover. His contribution on Saturday went way beyond the five goals he bagged. Apart from his marking, his handballs and his short kicks never missed a target in a 22-point victory. But Charlie, here it is, round 13. Number one. Fitzroy, as judged by Peter Carter, Fitzroy's best ever win. Okay. What, what do you expect from their best win? What, what are you thinking? Um, um, an incredible comeback. Is what I'm expecting. Well, it's not that at all. Okay. Uh, it was an incredible performance. They were taking on the, the Ruse, who were top of the ladder. Yep. The Lions won this game by 150 points. <laughs> they kicked 34 goals, 16, 220, to the Ruse, 10 goals, 10, 70. Still the highest ever winning margin against the top of the ladder side. Yeah, wow. Yep. Um, the victory restored the Lions to top spot and premiership favouritism. Across the four quarters, they kicked 8, 5, 11, and 10 goals. Goal kickers were Rendell with eight, Quinlan with seven, and Conlon with seven. Best players were Les Parrish with 39 disposals and an excellent tagging performance by young Richard Osborne on North captain and champion Wayne Schimmelbush. Wow. Osborne? Yeah. In, in what, his like 10th game or something? Yeah. So that's their best ever win. Not often you see the top of the table beaten by... by 150, you know... Like 10 goals, let alone 150 points. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you can see why that's number one. That's yep. good. Yep. So, worth the wait, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Round 14. It was a tight seven-point win on a cold day against Essendon at Windy Hill, um, which was widely viewed as Fitzroy's best win of the season. <laughs> Hard fought. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, individual highlights include Mick Conlon's sharp goal on the run in the second quarter and a long goal by Paul Roos from inside the centre square also in the second quarter. Um, really showing up against the, uh, the top sides as well than the Lions. Yeah. Um, I should also say a lot of this stuff is from an article written by Philip Mendes on the Footy Almanac site. Uh, included in, it's entitled So Close to the Holy Grail, A Personal Reflection on Fitzroy's Football Season in 1983. Oh. Yeah, so worth a read. A lot of this information is from that. Um, round 18 against the Cats. In the lead-up to the game, coach Robert Walls employed combat training drills to address what he labelled as insidious softness affecting the team. Insidious sounds softness. Like a, sounds a like a Robert Walls yeah. line, doesn't it? The tough physical contact at training seemed to be as successful as the Lions enjoyed an easy win at Waverley by 62 points against the Cats. Round 19, the strong victory at home against middle-order team Melbourne took the Lions back to second place. Quinlan, with 21 disposals, took nine marks and kicked five goals, eight in an 86-point win. Round 20 was Quinlan's 300th game. Unfortunately, they lost that. Mm. Round 21 against the Pies. All eyes were on Bernie Quinlan, who was seeking his 100th goal for the season. Number 99 was converted from 60 metres out early on, and the century finally came in the last quarter, following a perfectly weighted pass by rover Brad Gotch. Quinlan drilled the drop punt from 65 metres out. Drop punt? Yep. My God. So right on the centre square line. He was mobbed by hundreds of youngsters invading the ground. The Lions destroyed the Pies by 64 points. That's got to be the biggest 100th goal, like longest. Yeah, that's massive, yeah. yeah. Um, round 22 was a crucial victory against the Tigers. Um, highlights include a dominant rock performance by Les Parrish, 25 disposals and three goals. Richard Osborne dashing off halfback uh, and Gary Sidebottom and Mick Conlon playing well as well. Uh, Lions are really up there. Really good to see that they're, you know, having a crack. Yeah, some good young players backing up their, star, their older stars. Yeah, it's, good to it's see. a perfect mix, isn't it? Yeah. And a, a master tactician. Yeah, it's working well. 
Uh, so no surprises, the lead goal kicker was Bernie Quinlan with 116 for the year. That includes finals, of course. And the Mitchell medal in 1983 went to Matt Rendell for the second year in a row. Right. So that takes us up to Hawthorne, sitting in second spot. Uh, with, again, uh, 15 wins and 7 losses. So it's just percentage. Yeah. Splitting 2, 3 and 4 there. Uh, so 15 wins, 7 losses, 128.7%. Coached by Alan Jeans, of course, and captained by Lethal Lee Matthews. Debutants include Peter Curran, Russell Shield, and two other biggish names, Chris Langford and Ken Judge. Yes. So, uh, defender Chris Langford was the essence of solidarity with strength and sureness in his 303 VFL-AFL games for Hawthorne. Imposing uh, physique, he was also he was very powerful overhead and polished in everything he did at ground level. He was also extraordinarily hard to beat one-on-one one, one on one, and had the wood on most, if not all, of his regular opponents for the majority of his career. And then Ken Judge. He was a determined and highly skilled half-forward, forward pocket, or even ruck rover who played his best football with East Fremantle in 75 and between 77 and 82. After originally signing with the Swans, Judge was recruited to uh, Hawthorne and was a solid contributor to the club, playing mainly off a forward flank. He consistently scored goals and created scoring opportunities for teammates, relying on his silky skills and outside run. Perfect. Um, thank you to AustralianFootball.com where we get a lot of that As always. As well. Um, all right, the Hawks took on the Lions in round one and looked like an easy romp as the Hawks raced to a 10-goal lead at three-quarter time. or well, in the third quarter, sorry, but thanks to Michael Moncrief and Kelvin Moore. The Lions hit back in the last quarter and got within 18 points, eventually going down by 19. Round two, the Hawks were less than impressive but still accounted for the Swans at Princess Park in a 25-point win. Michael Tuck best on ground with 28 kicks. But the Hawks made up for this lacklustre game with a total eclipse of the Saints in round three. They ran the Saints off their feet, outmarked them, outmaneuvered, outtackled, basically beat them up in every department. Moncrief and Matthews with kicked six each in a 129-point hammering. Not the biggest win of that round, though. Really? Really. Round five, the Hawks put in an aggressive display at Victoria Park to down the pies by 22. Tuck kicked four. Green was great. Uh, and Cloak had a very quiet day, thanks to the... Thanks to the uh, Hawks defenders. Round eight, the Hawks played more direct football against the Bombers and kicked straighter to win by 42 in a spiteful affair. Stephen Copping was great as a stopper for Tim Watson and Terry Danaher. The only downside of the match was the report and five-week suspension of Robert Dippier Domenico for striking Alan Stoneham, which led to that all-in melee we talked about. Ah, uh, yep, yep. Yes. Round 10, the Hawks took a second-half comeback to beat the Demons at Waverley, trailing by 10 points at the main break. They kicked in, clicked into gear in the second half to win by 62. Remarkably, in the f- first half, 17 players kicked 23 goals between the two teams. Wow. Yeah. What a spread. Um, end of the game, Ken Judge finished with seven goals, Moncrief with five. Round 11, the Hawks used a powerful second quarter against the Lions as a catalyst for its 33-point win at Princess Park. Knights, Matthews and Wallace ran riot, helping the Hawks outscore the Lions eight goals to three and set up their win. Um, they smashed the Swans at the SCG in round 13. Round 14, the Saints surprised the Hawks at Princess Park and led in the first half, but the Hawks were having none of it. 13 goals to one after half time. They won by 90, 69 points. Bacanara was six and four each to Knights and McCarthy. So Mick McCarthy moving to the forward line here. Yeah. Seems to be a bit of an Alan Jeans masterstroke. In round 15, the Hawks beat the Dogs by 29 points in what was thought to be Alan Jeans' 400th match as coach. Peter Knights was the key to breaking the game apart after an even first half. Wallace was also good. Uh, the Hawks tied... Sorry, round 16, the Hawks toyed with the Pies early at Princess Park before putting down the pedal and pulling away an eight-goal to one second quarter saw them establish a lead that they held for the rest of the match. Round 17, they were too good for the Tigers. 18 goals across two quarters really doing it. Eight goals in the first, ten in the last, really uh, bookending that 64-point that win. Yeah. Round 18 was a top-of-the-table clash between old sparring partners Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, they're coming back. Yeah, the margin was never too big and it took until time on for Gary Bacanara to score the match-winning goal, which was only kicked after a 15-metre penalty from Peter Smith. The final margin was seven points at Arden Street. Round 22 was a loss to the Blues, but that was Alan Jean's 400th game. <laughs> so I'm guessing again. It's, state, yeah, yeah, state things, yeah. yeah. So it would work for coaches as well. Yeah, of course. 
The Hawks crushed another team in round 21, this time the hapless Demons, who could only manage eight goals for the day while the Hawks land on 25 to win by 115 points. Michael Tuck, the standout performer, again returning from a dislocated finger, kicking six straight in a magnificent display as Ruck Rover. Um, the final match, the Hawks lost lethally, but he wasn't needed as the Hawks blew away a hapless Cats team by 80 points. Michael Byrne had a big afternoon and Mick McCarthy continued his good form at full forward with five goals. Amazing. The Hawks are really, you know, clicking into gear. Yeah, aren't they just? Unfortunately. Mm. Um, so the lead goal kicker at Hawthorne this year. Lethal? Was, of course, lethal with 79. And the Peter Crimmins medal in 1983 went to Terry Wallace with Michael Tuck coming second, Peter Knight's third. Okay, yeah, Tuck's... From, from what I've read, Tuck was everywhere. Everywhere, as always, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that takes us to uh, minor premiers, and it is North Melbourne. So Hawthorne and North Melbourne, as you said, back up right up the top together. What is this, 1978? I know, seriously. With 16 wins and 6 losses, 127.8%, so one game clear on top, we have them coached by Barry Cable and captained by Wayne Schimmelbush. Debutants include Tony Fury, Ian Fairley, and John Collins. John Collins is a drink, isn't it? A John Collins or Tom Collins? Tom Collins. Round one, the Saints surprised the Roos at Arden Street, leading by 20 points in the third quarter. However, the Roos got themselves back in the game thanks to Glenn Denning, Hodgman, and Demetrio, and won by 13 points. One downside was, of this win was a two-week suspension to David Dench, who waxed and killed a forward Mark Jackson. This was his first suspension in his 256-game career. Yeah. What, weird that Jacko was the one that pushed him over the edge, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, funny. <laughs> uh, the, Hawks went, the Hawks had won by 129 points in round three. Yep. But the Roos won by more. Yeah. The SCG, the Roos were far too strong for the Swans. Kerry Good kicked seven. Dempsey did not lose a ruck duel. And the Cracker Brothers dominated. The Swans were held to one goal 13 in the second half. While the Roos added 15 goals 11. The final margin, 140 points. Round four, when Schimmelbush was the inspiration in a win against the Tigers... He kicked five in a 24-point win. He rescued his team when it looked like the Tigers were about to race ahead. Uh, the Roos went into their round seven match against the Hawks undermanned, missing Abernathy, Dench and Jim Cracker, but their losses were hardly felt as the Roos steamrolled away to a relatively easy 51-point victory. Dempsey and Greg also excellent. Round eight against the Dogs. From the 20-minute mark of the opening quarter, the Roos pounded the Dogs, kicking a record score for themselves, 29-15-189, defeating the Dogs by 115 points. Their third quarter impressive since they kicked 12 goals, 5. Hodgman kicked 5 goals while the Cracker Brothers got 4 each. Glenn Denning was a force around the ground. Round 9, the Cracker Brothers kicked 4 goals each in a display of great football in perfect conditions against the Cats at Cardinia. Glenn Denning and Dempsey were impassable all day as the Roos played direct and systematic football to win by 40 points. Round 10, the Roos could do no wrong against the Blues in, at Arden Street. The Blues came into the game as favourites, but the Roos powered ahead to break their two-week old record high score <laughs> so two weeks ago they kicked what, and then they just did it again they kicked 189 points against the doggies round 10 they kicked 193 <laughs> against the reigning premiers Carlton to win by 111 points massive Dempsey again destroying in the ruck Stephen McCann with six goals uh, this remains North's highest ever score against Carlton so the score being 29-19-193. Yeah, wow. Round 11, the Demons were 27 points up over the Roos at halftime at the MCG, but the Roos, led by the usual suspects, Schimmelbush, Dempsey and Crackers, the Crackers came back to win by 14 points. The Roos outclassed the Saints to win by 31 points at Moorabbin in a fiery match. Then was that shock loss to Fitzroy. North Melbourne lose by 150 points. Yeah, well, that's the one we've already talked about. Yeah. yeah. So they're winning by over 100 points, then losing by over yeah. 100 points. Weird. Um, and the Dogs beat the Lions as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before that, the biggest loss by a minor premier had been 69 points, which occurred in 52 and 74. And probably still is would be second, right? Like that is such oh, a massive surely, game. Yeah. Surely. Round 14, the Roos bounced back from an extraordinary thumping to defeat the Swans by 32 points in Arden Street. Glenn Denning was excellent in the wet, kicking three, and Demetrio was also good. Round 15, the Roos started the better team against the Tigers at the MCG with a seven-goal lead early. The Tigers came back and took the lead in the third quarter, but the class of Keith Gregg and Glenn Denning helped the Roos reset and earn a four-goal victory. Round 16, they cruised to victory against the Bombers and took outright premiership favouritism. Keith Gregg again, excellent. Shimmer playing his best game of the year. 
Round seven, they were too good for the Pies at Waverley. Dempsey dominant with forty over 40 hitouts. Glenn Denning also put himself into clear Brownlow favouritism. Uh, Cracker Brothers, again, excellent. They're two players I wish I'd seen. So yeah. Electrifying. Round 19, the Roos again thrashed the Dogs at Waverley. They moved freely and took control. The final margin was 93 points. Cracker was brilliant. John Collins was great. Um, him and Shimmer kicked four goals each. Xavier Tanner with five. They won by seven goals against the Cats in round 20 and their final game of the season, round 22. They earned a week's rest with a 73-point win over the Demons at Arden Street. After an ordinary first half, it took a Barry Cable rev up for the Roos to get going and earn their win. The Roos finishing on top for the first time since 1978 and only the third time ever. Never. Feeling good. Yes. They've sort of managed to refill and reset. and get it. Yeah, and you know? dumping, um, changing coaches from Malcolm Blight to Keith to... Uh, Barry Cables has worked out well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the lead goal kickers, uh, you won't believe it, Timmy. You can't split the crackers. Forty-four each. Wow, there you go. Uh, and also exact same disposal average. Well, almost the same. Eight, 18 point something disposal average for wow. both of them at the top two. There you go. Uh, unbelievable. And the Sid Barker medal in '83 went to Ross Glendening. Lovely. Um, Cole's goals was. North. North Melbourne, yeah, 406. Yeah, it would have had to be. Yeah, 406, wow. Yeah. And the Brownlow, let's talk quickly about the Brownlow. We mentioned him just before. Literally just now, it yeah. was. Ross Glendening. From North Melbourne. Yeah, the yeah. second Western Australian to win the highest accolade in the VFL. He scored 24 votes to Pip Richmond Centre, Morris Rioli by one. Uh, Simon Madden coming third. Calling for his wife, Kerry, to be at his side during the obligatory post-Brownlow press conference, Glenn Denning attributed his win to the greater consistency during the season and being fortunate that my style attracts the umpire's eye. Ah. Uh, It was an orchestrated countdown at the Southern Cross Ballroom. Glenn Denning took the lead in the medal with the fourth last vote counted. Before tonight, I thought I had a chance of being in the top half dozen or so, he said. Halfway through, I'd polled a fair few ones and twos and then thought maybe I might have, might have done my dash because there weren't enough free votes there, when Denning said. Mm. He played all 22 home and away games. Uh, he polled votes in 11 of them. The umpire said he was best on ground four times, second best five times, and third best twice for his 24 votes. For a while, it seemed like Madden would be um, taking... So for a while, Madden was setting the pace and it seemed like he was going to win. It was only near the end that Rioli and Glendening made their decisive moves. Although when Madden got to 22 with only six votes remaining, he was in a winning position. Yeah. Um, Glenn Denning, a Western Australian, is the third North Melbourne player to win the medal. Nice. Yes. Very nice. So that takes us into finals. Finals. All right. So our first game, we had our elimination final between Essendon and Carlton. Six in a row. Yes. The monkey's on our back. I'm, I'm worried. Yep. At Waverley Park, in front of 65,000 people. Taking on the team we beat the previous round. Yep. yep. Uh, although, and they came, they came out much closer this time, but Essendon did come out squeaking. All right, so Carlton entered the game without some of its stars. Bozzasto and Bordelotto were suspended. Jones was admitted. Ashman withdrew in the morning of the match. Uh, the Bombers were also without Neil Clark and Ron Andrews. But the Bombers controlled most of the match, apart from the second term when Mike Fitzpatrick threw his weight around and distracted some of the Bombers players, got them focusing on him rather than the ball. Um, a five-goal of the three-second quarter got the Blues back into the match, but they were unable to sustain the effort, and Essendon went on to win by 33 points. What? We've won a final. You did it. Our first one since 1968. Amazing. Oh. The monkey's off. Oh, what it must have felt like to have won a final. Um, it was a shock loss for many Blues who were, you know, believed that they could, when, when push come to shove against the Bombers, they'd win the big game. And they had some great games also. Yeah, well, this, this kind of ends a pretty remarkable three, four years for them where they've won three flags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but they have uh, now been bundled out of the finals. That's it, that's it. So the final score there being Carlton's 12-9-81, not good enough for Essendon's 17-12-114. And on that very same day, we had the qualifying final at the MCG in front of 58,000 people, Timmy. Oof. This might be the first time we've had more people at Waverley than at the G on the same day. I'm not sure about that. Interesting. But for yeah. finals, I mean. Yeah. Um, um, and we had yeah Hawthorne versus uh, Fitzroy. This and is an, an epic game. There was no day left between them at quarter no. time. 5-4 each. Well, the Hawks, look, they led comfortably for most of the first three quarters. Vetter and Peter Knights were dominating up forward, but then Fitzroy came home hard with a sensational last quarter, 
led by Bernie Quinlan, who was arguably playing one of his best ever games, kicking eight goals. This is how the final quarter progressed. Mick Conlon scored a behind on the run. Bernie Quinlan marked in the left forward pocket, six-minute mark and goal to bring Fitzroy within 13 points. Gary Sidebottom then grabbed the ball at the edge of the square and his long goal made it seven points only. Quinlan took a screamer over the pack 65 metres out. Usually his bread and butter, but failed to make the distance. Peter Knights marked and kicked his sixth goal back to 13-point margin. Quinlan marked and goal from 55 metres, seven points again. So you can double it from 55, 65 maybe just too far. Yeah. Uh, Michael Nettlefold was then penalised by umpire Glenn James for deliberately taking the ball over the line near the behind post. Um, it was a courageous decision, apparently, uh, and it's still causing contention decades later. This yeah. is something still talked about. I actually thought it was something that happened late, late in the game, in the last like dying minutes, because Michael Tuck slotted the goal yeah. from the boundary to put the margin back to 13. But this isn't at the end of the quarter. No, There's still it, a lot to play out. It always does that, though, yeah. the stories. Yeah. They, yeah. You like the Wayne Harms goal, exactly. 10 minutes before yeah. the end. Um, Leon Harris kicked a great goal on the run, the margin back to seven. Gary Wilson passed to Bernie Quinlan, who kicked his sixth at the 15-minute mark to reduce the margin to one point. The Hawks then scored a rush behind. Michael Tuck then marked in goal, back to eight points. Bernie Quinlan marks in the goal scoring, converts his seventh goal at the 20-minute mark, back to two points. Bernie Quinlan again grabs the ball from the ruck, throwing near the right forward pocket, and somehow manages to get his non-preferred left foot to the ball whilst tackled by four Hawks defenders. The Lions now lead by four points at the 22-minute mark. Richard Loveridge is in pushed in the back by Gary Pert and goals from a free kick at the 27 minute mark Hawks by two points Kennedy misses it from the pocket and then Matthews misses on the run the final margin is four points what a game to be at that would have been yeah this is a what could have been for Fitzroy this season yeah absolutely so yeah as we just said four points there 123 to 127 what a game uh, which means Hawthorne goes through, but um, Fitzroy have to come back and play Essendon in the semi-final. An Essendon team who now know how to win finals. That's right, they do. They do. The, yeah, they've got a bit of freedom. So the next week, at back at the G in front of 81,000 people, we had Fitzroy versus Essendon. It was a brutal game as well, marred by lots of indiscriminate violence from Essendon. Yep. Paul Weston ran through Bernie Quinlan in the opening quarter and the key forward was... Un- was unsighted for the remainder of the game. Then uh, big man Roger Merritt elbowed Grant Laurie, breaking his jaw, and also elbowed tiny Leon Harris in the head during the second quarter, um, which led to Robert Walls remonstrating with him as the players left the ground at halftime. But for most of the games, the Lions kept their noses in front. When Wilson ran into an open goal late in the third quarter, the 19-point lead looked enough for the Lions to get home. But Essendon scored two late goals in the third quarter, just before three-quarter time, and then the first seven in the final quarter to ice the game. Oh, Fitzroy out in straight sets. Yep, that's it. The uh, final score there being, yeah, uh, Essendon 16, 13, 109. Too good for Fitzroy's 12, 14, 86. So you're right, yeah, seven in the last quarter to Fitzroy's two. It's just yep. never going to be enough, unfortunately. Yep. Uh, so... Then we have North Melbourne versus Hawthorne. Well, imagine if it was Fitzroy taking on North Melbourne, a team they beat by 150 points. Exactly. Completely I mean, different game. Yeah. So those, those two old rivals back together again, um, but with a very different result at Waverley Park this yeah. day. Yeah, so the Hawks were full of fire when they took on the minor premier North Melbourne at Waverley. Although they had a goalless first quarter, it was 2-4 two to two behinds. Mm. Um, the ruse led by 14 points at quarter time, but Mick McCarthy was moved back to the forward line and things began to click. Goals started to flow freely and the Hawks took full control after quarter time. North players were down on their usual output. Shimmer, the Crackers, Stephen McCann were not able to get going at all. Uh, the game was in the bag by the final quarter and Peter Knights was rested. Lee for Lee finished with five goals and Mick McCarthy with four. Yeah, so North Melbourne 6-12-48 to Hawthorne's 13-10-88. Quite a low-scoring affair. Yeah, considering what we're used to in this year. Yes. Um, so that takes us to our prelim, where we have North Melbourne versus Essendon in front of sixty-three thousand people at Waverley, uh, and geez, did Essendon come out firing? Or oh, what? it was a fiery game. Um, it was actually a fairly yeah. lopsided game with the Bombers leading from the start, um, but it was not without its big clashes. There were flare-ups throughout the match. One melee involved 28 of the 36 players on the field. Um, but Essendon set up their win with an eight-goal-to-two first quarter and mm. their cruise to victory. 
Um, the Bombers' Merv Neagle was reported but escaped suspension during the week. Tim Watson was excellent with five goals. Merritt kicks four. And Glenn Hawker racked up 34 disposals. But watching on with Glee would have been Hawthorne as the, the Bombers and the Roos absolutely bit, belted the crap out of each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So final score there, North Melbourne 12-6-78. Bundled out in straight sets from being minor premiers. <laughs> To Essendon's 25-14-164. 86-point yep. win in a prelim. That's got to make you feel good coming into the grand final. Yes. Yeah. One would hope. So, let's talk about that grand final. 110,000 people at the MCG on the 24th of September, 1983. Just before we get... We boot up that machine and, and chat to Lethal Lee. Yes. Um, there was rumours going around that this would be the last grand final at the MCG. We knew the league wanted to move the game to, to Waverley. Waverley, yeah. Um, for the 84 season. And pre-game as well, when Jack Hamilton and Alan Aylett were introduced to the crowd, they were widely blue, widely booed. Yeah, not a, a pretty long. hostile crowd at the G, yeah. I, would, yeah, I would imagine. So let's go back and talk to... That premiership cat- yeah, captain. It's not, too, not too far. I remember 83. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was around. That's good. Lee Matthews. So, Lee, mate, you've just won the grand final by a record 83 points. Tell us about this team. It's incredible. We just turned in the most complete display of football I have ever been a part of. This football club is an honest football club. It rose through adversity. We have not done the wrong thing by anyone. Hawthorne always prospers with honesty and integrity. And that's why you played all season. Our team this year added another dimension to that respect. Uh, with the players, when they produce a display of skills and aggression, which typify the way modern football has developed. And your coach, Alan Jeans, in his third year at this club, has really brought you guys together about a, about a, after a bit of disharmony throughout that 1980 season. Alan Jeans has done a magnificent job in moulding the players. He's a winning combination with this critically important quality uh, of adversity. Now, we hear he has an interesting comparison to the fundamentals of football. Can you, can you tell us what that is? Sure. Uh, he likes to compare football to sausages. <laughs> his, saying, uh, his saying goes something like, you can fry them, grill them, boil them, curry them, but and put applesauce on them. You can present them however you like, but in the end, they're still sausages. <laughs> That's fantastic. And what about you? What's your personal relationship with the coach like? He's been a fantastic teacher for me. He has the ability to listen and engage people, not just me, in conversations. Well, the whole club seems to have embraced him in his coaching style of team-orientated gut-running uh, with, with clear communication. We have, uh, he has the ability to be calm and controlled and then in an instant he can turn the volume up to an ear-splitting volume which creates total engagement with his audience. He can deliver a key message in a few simple, concise words. Mate, so it feels like this year, 83, um, after the last two years of being patient and, and taking your time, you guys really have taken that next step. Yes, there were very good signs earlier. The wins over Fitzroy and Sydney, uh, the thumping we gave the Saints, Everything was coming together nicely. Then, uh, but there were still a few bumps in the road. The, the loss of the Tigers in round six uh, being one. Yes, it's true. Uh, we still turned in some odd performances. But if you look over that round 12 win over Fitzroy, I think you'll find that, that was the turning point. Why that match? Players finally surrendered themselves to their individualistic sacrifices and put their team first. Football became everyone's number one priority. Players stopped drinking alcohol. Terry Wallace resigned from his job. It was an all-in commitment. The team was dubbed the Jeans Machine at full steam. Was this part of that mentality? Yeah, it was a good name for us. You finished second on the ladder behind North Melbourne and took on Fitzroy in a cracking game of football in the qualifying final. We thought he started that game really well. We, we led all day. I, I think uh, we were three, four goals up at three-quarter time and the Lions kept coming and coming. Game off his own boot. Mate, Burley, Bernie Quinlan almost won that game off his own boot. He was superb. They took the lead late in the game. And if it wasn't for that excellent goal from Richie Loverich, <laughs> the Lions would have won. Uh, but we were lucky when the time went. Um, we were up by four points. Then it was onto a team you've played a lot in finals, North Melbourne. And after a quiet first quarter, you guys took control in the second and, I mean, really completely blanketed them. 
it's funny how we keep coming up against each other. Um, it was a hard-fought match, but we were happy to get through. And I admit, we we did expect the Roos um, would meet us in the grand final. I think I'm just conditioned to play them in grand finals. Mate, so Essendon must have been a massive surprise then. We talked about rivalries. The North um, and North was a team we played through the 70s in big games, but Essendon is a team uh, we have a pretty good recent rivalry with. They had great final series, uh, coming fourth spot to make it. But the week off did you well? We were glad to watch as the Roos and the Bombers beat the living hell out of each other. We thought they might have a few players missing after the umpires got their books out, but none of them were rubbed out. Now, speaking of player selection, tell us more about the dilemma this week at Hawthorne. So a lot of people were calling for Kelvin Moore, a veteran, you know, 293 games, uh, to, cut, to get back into this team. But ultimately, the committee went with David O'Halloran. Well, it was a bit of a headache for them. Kelvin ruptured his testicle uh, a few months back, and uh, he has only played one game since then. Um, but they must have felt that uh, O'Halloran had played pretty well uh, in his place and wanted to, to go with a fit bloke rather than an underdone defender. Tough call, but it was the right call. Um, 110,332 people crammed into the G today to see you play the Bombers, um, their first grand final in 16 seasons. Did the team, did your team seem ready to play? We were all ready. We all had a mission to do, and that's what we did from the start. And what words of wisdom did did the coach, uh, Jeansy, have before the game? That's an interesting question because his instructions weren't so much about us, uh, more so the game. He reminded us to stand at attention during the anthem, that's important, and also not for us to get involved in the meaningless pushing and shoving. So the game started and the Bombers probably had a slight edge early on, continuing on that role they had in the last three weeks. Um, they led by two points 11 minutes in and Timmy Watson was in ominous form, but then... He lost form. And, uh, he was pretty quiet for the rest of the game. Well, mate, I believe he was hit by Colin Robertson. <laughs> you don't say. Well, the ball was going out in the far wing. Watson and Robertson were racing for it. Watson hit Robertson in the gut, so Robertson jabbed him in the nose. That would explain it. Uh, I wonder why he was down on form after that. And it explains all the booing for Robertson for the rest of the day. I was surprised that those so-called bombers, tough men, did nothing. No fighter, no remonstrating, nothing. Which was probably a good sign for us. Uh, and Bacanaro went down early as well. Was it his leg? His knee. Uh, it was a big loss. He had a great year. And can you tell us about that clash you had with your own teammate, Peter Knights? It was early in the game, near the centre of the ground, and we were both running at the ball, not head on, but uh, more than... Um, but more from a V-shape, I suppose, and at the point of the V, we crunched into each other. But it seemed to add more spark to the Hawks. Well, I was lucky. Some of the younger players mentioned that we showed uh, that because we were prepared to hurt each other in our desperation to get the ball, set the mood for all of us. Now, so you guys ended up going into uh, quarter time three goals ahead, but signs were ominous. Ayers, Knights, Kennedy all started well. We got some undisciplined free kicks. We were well and really in control of the game. The game was tight earlier in the second quarter. Early on the margin was only six points. They had their chances to come back in the second quarter but failed to do so. Uh, and you guys just seemed dominant at that point. Bombers couldn't do anything to stop you. Yeah, suddenly tucky goal. I kicked a couple. Uh, then Green, Judge, Burn, uh, all gold and we were out by 57 points. Everything was just clicking into gear, wasn't it? Yeah, to see my teammates give so much of themselves to strive for a common goal in uh, the pressure cooker atmosphere of the MCG on the last Saturday of September builds up a special kind of respect that stays, that stays with you forever. Um, that is common for a fourth, fourth premiership team. I have been fortunate enough to play in. Now, was there a thought that you had at one, the, you know, then and there? I mean, 22 scoring shots to five, it says a lot about the game up to that point. I think they were a bit tired. The tougher draw made it harder for them. We ran harder and tackled harder. And the defenders? Oh, our back line was superb today. We were confident at half-time after taking such a good lead. And the way they were able to shut out Essendon forwards and then... Uh, when Hawthorne claimed possession instantly became an attacking unit, attacking off the back line. It was modern football at its best. Well, any thought of a Bombers comeback was quickly extinguished. Goals to you, Green, Wallace, 
it was all brown and gold. We could see the Bombers fans streaming for the exits. We had complete control. Uh, I guess the only downside was that the spectacle of the game was very one-sided and uh, complete domination by us. And, and talking of your goals, you had a great day in front of them. Uh, six goals in the first three quarters. You, you actually had a chance to kick the highest amount of goals in the grand final. <laughs> I was thinking about it in the last quarter. I thought if I kicked a couple of goals, I could get the, in the record books. But it was difficult to get a kick. Those blokes were taking shots from half forward. Yeah, mate, how was the mood at three-quarter time? You must have known you had it, surely. Yeah, well, uh, as we wandered over in the last huddle, it was quite a surreal moment. Uh, we led by 87 points. And I thought to myself, we could, um, they would need to kick 15 goals to win. I ran the numbers through my head over and over again, and I came to the conclusion that the margin put the result completely beyond doubt. Well, that must have been a comforting feeling. Well, even the pessimist in me, would, who never accepted victory until it was absolutely certain, had to concede that the wonderful reality of the flag was ours. So, what did Jeansy say to you in that moment? <laughs> Honestly, I have absolutely no memory of what he said. As the captain, uh, my mind was already progressing to the post-game when um, I'd have the enormous honour of walking on the presentation dire to receive the Premiership Cup. So at one stage of the final quarter, the Hawks led by 101 points. We hoped to be the first team to win the grand final by over 100 points, but the Bombers gained a little credibility in the last quarter, more than doubling the score. Um, I suppose we have to settle for record grand final. Now, it's probably hard for you to say, but can you sort of give any explanation as to why Essendon might have been so poor today? I think the pressure got to the Bombers because, uh, like all the other final matches of the season, um, it was do-or-die efforts. Um, I'm sure they're hurting right now, but they'll bounce back and be better for today's experience. So, uh, Colin Robertson was the winner of the Norm Smith medal. Do you think he was a deserving winner? I don't want to single out any player for special praise. Each grand final is different and it brings out the best in players. Colin was excellent for us and played his role to perfection. And how did it feel to be up in front of everyone being presented with that cup? Personally, being captain of the side and receiving the Premiership Cup on behalf of the team will be the greatest thrill of my sporting life. And when I held the cup aloft for the MCG crowd, my cherished ambition was realised. And I can only humbly think of all the people who made it possible. Could you name some of them now for us? Of course. Uh, there's the 20 players that took the field on the grand final, and only, uh, a, a, only the playing representatives of the entire football club. A premiership would not be possible without the help of many people, players, officials, and supporters. It would be remiss of me <laughs> not to, uh, on behalf of all the players who represented Hawthorne during the 1983 season, to thank everyone of those people for their contribution. And you've surely got to be optimistic about the future for the Hawks, Lee. It looks pretty bright down at Hawthorne. Many of the younger Hawthorne players made giant steps uh, forward during the season and it is essential for Hawthorne's continued success that they don't slip back. All of us will be put under intensive scrutiny by other league clubs as only the reigning Premier could. Success is a short-term thing, and already this year's victory is behind us. For the time being, the club can bathe in the glory of its fifth premiership, but the hard work in preparation for the 1984 season is just around the corner. Well, Lee, we wish you good luck with that endeavour. Thank you. Go Hawks! Thanks, mate. This game was ridiculous. Yeah. Have we got the final margin there? Uh, it was 83 points. Yeah, Hawthorne, 20 goals, 20, 140. Essendon, yeah. 8 goals, 9, 57. And they, Essendon more than doubled their score in the last quarter. So, junk time goals. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as we said, yeah, Hawthorne, I mean, four goals for the first three quarters of the game. Um, but, but, I mean, you look at that Hawthorne side and... You oh. guys had done very, very well to oh, get Oh, yeah, we there. were running on stadiums, weren't we? Yeah. Um, goals for Essence, sorry, goals for the Hawks. Matthew, six. Burns, three. Judge, two. Green, two. Loveridge, two. Kennedy, Knights, O'Halloran, Tuck, Wallace, one. For the Bombers, Danaher, two. Copping, Ezard, Kink, Madden, Walsh, and Wood, one each. Best for the Hawks were Matthews, Robertson, Wallace, Kennedy, and Ede. Um, a few little points of interest here, Charlie. Yep. Um, another grand final loss for Rene Kink after four oh, as a yes. player for Collingwood. Um, now, because of his knee injury that we discussed, Bacanara was unable to receive his premiership medal in the presentations after the game. 
So after Chris Mew received his premiership medal, medal, they did a cross to the hospital to show Gary Bacanaro being interviewed there before crossing back to the presentation of the cup. <laughs> um, now the other story out of this is Kevin Sheedy's reaction post-game. Okay, yep. A bitter us. and angry Essendon coach Kevin Sheedy lashed his players unmerciful, unmercifully and spoke of the shame at their pri- private grand final party the night of the game, so afterwards. Oh. Um, he wanted his players at Windy Hill to talk to them about a few things from the game. He wanted them to hurt. Um, and he said, you know, if you're not hurting now, then I don't want you at this club. Yeah. Um, some of the grand final team, he said, had possibly played their last game with the Bombers. I hope you're hurt and I hope your ears are burning right now, the way I'm talking to you. If it doesn't hurt tonight, then Essendon will never win another premiership. To put it mildly, it was the most disappointing day of my life. I don't want you to enjoy tonight. I hope you all watch the game again. No longer was it good old Sheeds. Yeah. Mm. So strong, hard, earnest approach, um, but really making them, I guess, learn from their mistakes and reflect on what had been and what they missed out on. Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because part of you, looking back at that season, yeah, I mean, the grand final must have stung, but you've won three finals after losing the last five. Like... There should be a little bit of pride in that, shouldn't yeah. there? I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. one. But we look, we know what happens in 84 and 85. Yeah. And it was worth it. Yeah. Today, in 2022, we talk about this grand final curse where if a team loses by over, what is it, eight goals, they don't they even make the disappear. finals. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, so keeping that blood flow, you know, yeah. Like just, living in living in the pain for a bit longer. Yeah, just, just making it's not good enough. Nah. No, it's not. Yeah. There's so don't congratulate yourself. No. And that's, I guess, what Collingwood, how Collingwood imploded as well. Making it's not a pass mark. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so some other results from this year. In the reserves, Essendon defeated Collingwood 128-99. to Under-19s, North Melbourne defeated... Sorry, Melbourne defeated North Melbourne 170-58. to The McClellan Trophy going to North Melbourne. Oh, I wouldn't have thought Essendon. No. Probably close. Yeah. Um... But we should wrap this year up, Charlie. We shall. Okay, so our wooden spooners were St Kilda. That's right. Unfortunately, our Coleman medalist was Bernie Quinlan. Over 100 goals. Over 100 yep. goals. In the season as well, which is good. Yes. Our Brownlow medalist. Was Ross Glendening. Was North Ross Melbourne. Glendening. Absolutely. Um, and our premiers. Hawthorne. Hawthorne. The biggest margin in a grand final ever. Yeah. 83 points. Still? Yes. No. No. No, Hawthorne will, oh, no, of course. Hawthorne will break it against Melbourne in 88. Yeah, and, and then Geelong will break Geelong it. And Geelong will break it in 2007. Seven, yeah. Um, all right, so other things. Highest score for the year was 34 goals, 16, 220 by Fitzroy. Yep. The most behinds was Bernie Quinlan, 66. Mark of the year and goal of the year were both Ken Hunter of Carlton. Nice. Rookie of the year? Was it Osborne? No. It was Stephen Wallace of Footscray. Okay. Yeah. Um, coming, coming first, Chris Connolly and Donald McDonald also close there. In nice the, in my running. Nice. Um, the premiership list for 1983: We've got Carlton with 14, Collingwood with 13, Essendon 12, Melbourne 12, Richmond 10, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, Hawthorne 5, South Melbourne 3, North Melbourne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. And some retirees finally. Before I hand over for the best name, mm-hmm. uh, retirees we've got Mike Fitzpatrick, two flags as Carlton captain. We've got Alan Stoneham from Footscray and Essendon, Mick Malthouse from Richmond St Kilda, Kevin Bartlett, 403 games, five flags. Ross Brewer, Richmond and Melbourne, Paul Sarah, Geelong and Richmond, Bruce Nankervis and Ian Nankervis ah, bowing out together. Out together. Rod Blake also of Geelong, Arnold Brightus, North Melbourne's Premiership champion. Warwick Irwin of Fitzroy, Jeff Saru, St Kilda, Francis Jackson from Richmond and Swans, Vin Cataggio from Carlton and Sydney, Terry Wheeler of Footscray, Hawthorne Pair, El Martello and Michael Moncrief retiring, Graham Teasdale, kind of his flame petering out there mm-hmm. at Collingwood, and Ray Byrne of Collingwood also finishing up. And the best name, Charlie? Um, the best name this year is... Uh Francesco Rugolo. Oh, okay. Yeah. I feel good about that. Francesco. Feel, Stephen McBroom is very close, but Francesco Rugolo I feel good about. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of 
1983 in our last season we'll cover this year. Yeah, it's sort of our, our formal end to 2022 also. Yes, although it won't be our last episode because of course no, we'll of have course. Our, our yearly wrap-up. Our we'll, best of. We'll, uh, we'll, do all the, we'll make our best team from 1970 to 1983. Oh, I can't wait. It's always a fun little <laughs> conversation. Isn't it? And all the other uh, highlights from the from what we've spoken about. Yeah, it's going to be great. I cannot wait for that one, Timmy. It's all yeah, it's fun to fun to argue with you on yes. that one. And I can't. I hope uh, that people out there get really annoyed by our lists and call in. <laughs> I want to hear some people who they think should be in our team that yes. we don't pick. So until then, guys, hooroo! To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.